What was it about John the Baptist that piqued the curiosity of the Jewish leadership in Jerusalem? So much so, they sent priests and Levites and then Pharisees to essentially interrogate him. John frightened them. It is important to remember that in the Judaism of this time, there was a palpable expectation that the Messiah's arrival was imminent. There had already been false messiahs that were able to draw the support of segments of the population which terrified the Jewish leadership as well as the Roman occupation forces. There was a legitimate fear that a violent uprising under some charismatic leader claiming to be the Messiah would be met with swift and merciless Roman retaliation and even stricter controls on the Jewish population, possibly threatening the very existence of the temple itself. From the perspective of the Jewish leadership, there was a lot at stake. And John posed an unacceptable risk. When John was asked if he was the Christ, he said no. If he had wanted power, that power would have been his so easily. But being faithful to the mission that God gave him to be the forerunner of the Messiah was more important. He was asked if he was Elijah. Now why? Remember, according to scripture, Elijah did not die. He was assumed into heaven. The prophet Malachi tells us in his book, chapter 3, verses 23 through 24, that Elijah was to return at the end of time, often referred to as the day of the Lord, to prepare the people for the arrival of Messiah. And to this very day in Jewish households on the Shabbats, on the Sabbath day, a special place at the table by observant Jews is made for Elijah. And even the front door will be unlocked and cracked open so Elijah can come in. But John denied that he was Elijah. Then he was asked, are you the prophet? Now what's that about? In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 15, Moses told the people that the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. Him you shall heed. God confirmed this in Deuteronomy, chapter 18, verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all I command. It would take thousands of years before it would be fulfilled. John denied that he was the prophet. And then when asked for the last time to identify himself, John quoted from the prophet Isaiah, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. And this simple verse for Jews of that time period, would have been electrifying. It would have released all kinds of images in the minds of a biblically literate population that the Lord is coming to deliver the poor and the oppressed whom, for whom God has a special love. That the Lord will pour out his spirit upon his people. That the Lord will restore Israel 
and come into Jerusalem as king, that the enemies of Israel will be destroyed, that the gift of mercy will be open to all who believe, and the Messiah will bring all the nations to the knowledge of the one true God. For us moderns, surrounded with all the comforts of our technology, a relatively stable society that, so far still, respects the rule of law, our relative freedom from want, and our freedom from violence, it's difficult to understand the power of hope and intense expectation that simple quote from Isaiah created in the hearts of an oppressed people, and at the same time, the panic it would have generated in both the Jewish leadership and the Roman occupying forces. There is, however, much more to John's quoting of Isaiah, make straight the way of the Lord. At one level, John is referring to an ancient tradition that when a king was about to visit a village, everyone would go out and make sure that the set stones and other debris on the road were removed. If the road were made of cobblestones, they would be diligently swept and the curb tidied up. If the road was of dirt, then shovels and rakes would be used to make sure that the road was as level and smooth and soft as possible. This was an exercise in hospitality. But at another level, there is the call for one to make straight his or her heart, to clear out all the debris that is accumulated in one's soul from spiritual and moral neglect, to make his or her interior life clean and tidy. Why? Because he who loves us is coming to us. All this interior preparation is vitally necessary to welcome not a king, but the king of kings, the Messiah, the Christ. The refusal to do so not only renders one unable to properly welcome Messiah, the refusal expresses contempt for him. And this leads us to consider how we will use these final days of Advent. Are we going to use this time to make straight the way of the Lord in our interior life? Are we making the effort to do a spiritual cleaning? Some might object and say, well, Father, this is Advent. It's not Lent. True. But Advent is not about having endless holiday parties and working ourselves into a frenzy over trying to create the perfect holiday experience for family and friends. It's about using this short period of time to prepare for the arrival of the one who loves us so deeply, so fully, so completely, if we haven't done it yet, there is still time.